Why are more children dying recently? Why did the suicide rate start climbing in 2007? Why is TikTok promoting suicide? Why does NASCAR have a gambling problem? The answers to all that and more on today's Random Thoughts. Hello and welcome to episode number 227 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. And if anything sounds funny, had a temporary crown fallout last night. Nothing like feeling old when your teeth start falling out. It was a tooth I had a redo on of a root canal, a reworking, whatever they call it. A retreatment, I think it was, that a root canal that was done years ago was not done entirely. There was a little bit of the root left. And when that happens, it becomes infected, bad things happen. So we had that retreated. The crown was back on temporarily, have a dentist appointment on Friday. And it feels weird when a tooth that's normally there is no longer there. With that said, it seems my beat here on Random Thoughts goes back to a few topics over and over again, and I apologize if things start getting a little bit repetitive. If you feel that's the case, reach out and let me know, but there was a report that was published this week in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which talked about the death rate of children, younger folks in the United States. And I don't think there's a whole lot of surprise here, but it was interesting on a couple of levels. One, just how the USA Today, where I pulled some of this from, how they cover it and how they want to push it. There's no question at this point that the news media has their little axes to grind and their biases and they show up over and over again. I mean, I know I have biases, but I do my best to try to equalize those by looking at various sources and trying to make sure the data is correct rather than trying to interpret something to say exactly what I want it to say. In this case, in the editorial that in this report that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, researchers analyzed the death certificates and the data from them from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and found that pediatric mortality increased by 20% from 1919 to 2021, the largest increase in 50 years. Now, I know everybody's already going, oh, gee, COVID vaccines. And I believe those did play a role, but not as large as you might think, not from the virus itself anyway, but mainly from the changes that happen in our everyday lives due to COVID, 
with the lockdowns and remote learning and all that other kind of stuff. According to this article from the USA Today, researchers found this spike is largely driven by an increase in injury-related deaths such as suicide, homicide, overdose deaths, and car accidents, which all began climbing before the COVID-19 pandemic. So this wasn't kids, which we were pretty sure all along were not affected that drastically by the virus that is called COVID-19. And while there were a decent amount of vaccine-related side effects for the younger folks, this seems to be just what they're saying here. Suicide, homicide, overdoses, car accidents, all of these things which began climbing before the COVID pandemic, some of those things like suicides uh, got way worse because of the COVID pandemic. This report points out something that I thought was very vital to understanding this phenomenon because the report points out that suicide rates began rising in 2007 and increased by 70% by 2019. If you look at the graphs on this, and I love looking at graphs, you see that the suicide rates had been dropping slowly. I mean, there's no huge move one way or the other, but they were slowly dropping steadily on a decline from about 1999 through 2007. And then they begin going up in 2007 and they don't look back. Now, what's important about the year 2007? Some of you who have been listening to this show for a long time may have an idea. But in 2007, the Apple iPhone was released. The very first smartphone was released. No, that can't have any effect on this at all, can it? Our children having access to the internet in their pocket, having these little devices with them all day and all night, where all of the bad things from the world can get to them. No, that can't have an effect, can it? Began rising in 2007 and increased by 70% by 2019. Again, that is the suicide rate. I'm old enough to remember growing up without one of those devices, and I don't believe having one would have been beneficial. We grew up in a way that was completely different because you had your friends, you had your little area that you lived in, and this was the world that you knew. You did not have the problems of the whole world being brought into your pocket. You did not have people who were intentionally trying to do people harm in your pocket messaging you, be able to send you a message on your social media, whatever it may be. It was a much simpler time. And for children, I think a much simpler time is what they need when growing up. I've made it very clear that giving young children devices is a horrible thing to do and can lead to way more negative outcomes than positive ones. But That is, I think, where we're going to get with 
things like this coming out. It's good to have this study coming out. And we'll get to a couple of quotes from one doctor that was a part of the study and one that wasn't that I think just put everything into perspective. But at the same time, beyond the suicide rates going up, which is a big part of this, homicide rates also began rising in 2013 and have increased by 33% by 2019. I don't think this is a big surprise to anybody listening either. I've been banging that same drum, which is we have major metropolitan cities in the United States of America going soft on crime. We want to defund the police. We don't want to prosecute people. Thus, violent crimes go up. When you know you can get away with it or that there's a very good chance you can get away with it, it's a lot easier to off somebody. It's just human nature. If you believe you can get away with something bad, well, the odds are going up that people are going to do it more. Also, overdose deaths began rising in 2019, shortly before the pandemic. There is a drug crisis in this country. Fentanyl coming over the border at record rates, even though Joey Biden says, no, no, we have the border under control. It's all locked down. We're taking care of business. No. I think if you're listening to me, you know that is not the case. But this is where the numbers are coming from of younger children dying. They're coming from suicides, homicides, overdoses. And were there some in there from COVID-19 viruses, sicknesses? I'm sure but not to the extent that these other factors have. The study showed most of the deaths were attributed to older children aged 10 to 19, but deaths among the younger children 1 to 9 also increased by 8.4% in 2021. The only age group that didn't experience a significant increase were infants. So I'm guessing from birth to one year old. I don't think we were given any of the uh, vaccinations to kids under one. Just guessing. Between one and nine, we know there were some that were getting those vaccinations. But that's still data, as I've mentioned in the past. I don't jump to conclusions. I will look for trends and say, hey, you know, we maybe want to look at that. And this would be one of those cases. Maybe we want to look at that. But we also understand as a society, when you look at that one to nine year old age group, that there is a certain percentage of that age group that is given a device by their moron parents and sent off to experience the Internet in all of the cesspool that it is without any parental guidance or parents even knowing what the kids are doing. The USA Today pulls out this fact and, of course, tries to make this because everything's about race today. Absolutely everything's about race. They point out in 2021, black youths age between 10 and 19 were 20 times more likely to die by homicide than white youths and six times more likely than Hispanic youths. 
I don't think that's a surprise. If you're familiar with Chicago, Baltimore, L.A., New York, St. Louis, New Orleans, the crime is mainly these homicides are part of the crime, the violent crime that is mainly carried out by the drug gangs. This is a portion of the population that is still mainly black. And there is a lot of black kids in that age range in gangs. This isn't a surprise. The reason for this is cultural. And again, the reason for this is greatly due to the fact that we have in those areas that I mentioned and others, mainly liberal district attorneys that do not want to prosecute crimes. And because of that, the crime rate goes up and more people die. But people then go, yay, defund the police. Yay, be soft on crime because it's horrible to put a certain demographic of people into jail for the crimes they're committing because the crimes weren't their fault. But what happens is then other people die because of that. And we go, oh, well, wait, this is kind of a bad situation, isn't it? Maybe we should actually punish the criminals who commit the violent crimes and kill other people because that's not the society we want to have. Although there seems to be a certain amount in the radical left that wants exactly that because they understand that if you have that, what you then get is, well, wait, the current system's not working. This freedom that we've had, that's not working. This capitalist system that we've had is not working. Wait, the Second Amendment, how dare you let people have firearms? Oh, this First Amendment, you can't let people use hate speech. No, this whole system needs to be torn down. When the reality seems to be, if you would just punish the criminals who commit the crimes, the system would work and people would be safer across the board. So it's not a surprise to me that black youths are 20 times more likely to die by homicide. What they're failing to mention here is a vast majority of those are dying at the hands of other black youths. So where is the problem there? Who has the right to fix that problem? Because as an old white guy, you know, I probably shouldn't even be talking about problems with the black youth and pointing out that, yeah, they're the victims, but they're also the perpetrators in the case of the gang crime that's happening in our major cities across the United States. Deaths by suicide were also twice as likely among black and American Indian slash Alaskan native youths compared to the white youths. And I admit, I'm a little surprised by that number until you start looking at the fact that all of the things that have been going on over the last decade or so, when it comes to critical race theory, reparations, the black youth is being taught that they're victims. And when you're victims, you tend to lose hope. When you're taught that you're a victim, you look at yourself in a completely different way. If somebody keeps harping into you that you are a victim, then you're defeated. You don't feel like somebody that can go out there and take on the world 
You don't feel like somebody that can overcome adversity. We're not being taught as a society anymore that overcoming adversity is good. No. We're being taught that if you're a victim, hold your hand out and the government or somebody else will come by and take care of you. And until people understand that the government is completely unable to do that job, the government can't even govern themselves. They are not going to be your savior. They are not going to be able to make your life what you want. And only you are going to be able to do that. But once you have that victim mentality ingrained in your soul, it takes a lot to turn that around. In a stat that was included, and I have no idea why or what significance this may have, American Indian slash Alaskan Native youths face the greatest risk of dying in a motor vehicle accident. I don't know where to take that. I really don't. I don't know what that can say about anything except the areas they live in are dangerous. If you're talking about maybe out in the wilderness in Alaska or something, I mean, it's a much smaller population. So I don't know if that's statistically important or not USA Today, but I'm thanking you for pulling that out of this report, along with making the observation, we'll say that a big part of all this going on in the United States is increased access to guns. I've seen this in multiple USA Today articles. I should have seen if this was the same author or not, or if this is just the USA Today bully pulpit that they want to get this out there over and over again, increased access to guns. I don't know if the children of today really do have increased access to guns. Not really sure that that is provable in any way, shape, or form. You could say there's more guns in the United States, and that may be true, but how do you know that the children have access to the guns? And when it comes down to things like homicides and gangs, it's like, well, they're going to get the guns. Do you think making them illegal is going to keep them from having them? No, because it's already illegal to shoot people, but they do it anyway, believe it or not. And when it comes to suicides and guns, this is, again, a case of looking at the problem when it comes to the mental health of the society rather than the tools. If somebody is so despondent, that they want to end their own life. Is a gun an easy way to do it if they have access to it? Sure. But you know what else? It's easy if you don't have a gun. There are drugs. There are turning on your car while being in your garage with the door closed. There are definitely a variety of ways that people can off themselves if they want to. They can jump in front of a train. I'm not suggesting any of these, mind you. But this concept that, hey, we have a suicide problem in America. We really need to get rid of the guns. No, you need to get the mental health situation under control so people do not want to do harm to themselves. That's the answer to the problem. It's not the tool doing it because they can get into a car and go head on into a semi. Again, not suggesting that. There's a lot of ways people can off themselves if they want. Increased access to guns is not the issue. The mental health issue is the one that we should be looking at. And I think we need to be looking at what is causing 
this uptick, especially since 2007 when the very first smartphone was released. No, there can't be any correlation to the fact that the very first smartphone was released and then suicide rates steadily went up amongst young folks. No, can't be. No, can't be. No, just don't be silly. The USA Today article says more research into injury-related deaths is needed to identify trends and inform policies, experts say. Well, again, phones came out in 2007. Just want to point that out. If anybody's listening in the government that wants to investigate this, I will again say in 2007, the iPhone, the very first smartphone, the beginning of all of these social media sites like TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, they all started with the birth of the iPhone in 2007, and nobody has ever looked back. Parents keep giving their kids access to the cesspool that is the internet and then go, oh, wow, I'm so surprised little Jimmy or little Jenny off themselves doing something stupid that they saw on TikTok. Wow, who would have guessed? Dr. Henry Yang, professor of medicine and epidemiology and director of the Center for Pediatric Trauma Research at Nationwide Children's Hospital, who was not affiliated with this study at all. He co-wrote a study published in August 2022 showing that injury-related deaths among those under the age of 70 decreased between 1981 and 1993, but saw a significant increase from 1994 to 2019. Despite the concerning trend, the study found that the National Institute of Health severely underfunded research in suicide, homicide, and unintentional injuries. Yeah, let's not forget the fact that these devices, which bring the cesspool of the internet right into our children's bedrooms, they're also what people are constantly accessing while driving motor vehicles. You're texting while driving. You know you are. You're talking on the phone while driving. If anybody, that's the older folks, I guess. I don't know if anybody under the age of 30 is talking on the phone, but it's even worse, I think, because you talk, you could put somebody on hands-free and just have a conversation. But no, you got kids texting and driving. I've seen people doing live social media streams, video streams while driving. Don't think that's safe. We don't understand just how distracted people are and then they cause wrecks. I think it's very simple there, too, because although you're back to you would have to prosecute the crime, I'm all for if somebody causes an accident which results in any kind of injury whatsoever or death to somebody else and it was provable, it is provable that they were on their cell phone at the time, they were texting at the time. I say mandatory jail time makes a lot more sense. People would stop doing it. Nobody would text and drive if they knew that somebody might jump in front of their car, get injured, and then the timestamp's going to show, ah, you were texting, you're going to jail. Just wouldn't do it. Would not do it. But again, this is where you have soft on crime DAs causing all of these problems, causing the collapse of society, causing the crime rates to surge. No, no, nothing to look at here. Now, Dr. Stephen Wolf, who was the lead author of this study and also the director emeritus of the Center on Society and Health at Virginia Commonwealth University, said, we don't do enough research on this topic. We need to fund research in proportion to the death toll. 
He is absolutely right. But you know why we don't? Because it's very inconvenient to go after these cell phone companies at this point, to go after the people making the cell phones, to go after the people that are providing you with the service. And really, you're mainly going after the people that are committing the crimes, which are the regular everyday folks, because just as I wouldn't go after the people making guns, I wouldn't go after the people making the cell phones. No, I would go after the people that are using the tools in an unsafe manner. Those would be the ones that you would punish for doing so. In a related story, Breitbart has this headline, China's greatest weapon. TikTok pushes suicide videos on 13-year-olds. The article begins, it only takes 10 minutes after creating an account on China's TikTok app for the platform's algorithm to begin pushing suicide videos to 13-year-old children. The Chinese app's recommendation algorithm is so advanced that within 10 minutes, it will start pushing suicide videos if the young TikTok user suggests he is sexually frustrated, according to research published on Tuesday by the corporate accountability group Eco and shared with Vice News, end quote. Now, I've talked about this before. It may have been over on my podcast, Grumpy Old Benz, where we cover a lot of tech stuff. And the concept was TikTok's algorithms are very quick to pick up on certain issues and then keep forcing those types of videos into your stream. That's all you see. So in this case, the researchers sent up nine different accounts, listed the age at every person of these fake accounts as 13 years old, the youngest age where users can join the platform. Of course, I will guarantee you there are plenty of under 13 users on TikTok because moron parents gave their kids the phone. And the kid's just like, oh, I have to be 13. So they're eight years old. And they say, oh, I'm 13. And TikTok goes, okay. Now, what they did with these fake accounts was they start liking content for people that are sexually frustrated, which again, at 13 years old, I didn't think that was a problem because I didn't think it was an issue. I didn't even think it was on the radar. If it is, then there's a whole different chat that the parents maybe should be having with their kids. The article says they mimicked who they referred to as incels or involuntary celibates, which is an online community of young men who formed a bond around their lack of sexual success with women, according to Vice News. Again, these are fake accounts that for 13 years old. Anyway, it took them down a rabbit hole and including showing them a video where Jake Gyllenhaal, the actor, was seen with a rifle in his mouth saying, shoot me, shoot me in the effing face. The video also included text with which read, get shot or see her with somebody else, question mark. The majority of the commenters on the video were in support of the suggested suicide. Other commenters, the article says, lamented about their loneliness, many saying they felt dead inside. One commenter even suggested his own suicide within the next four hours. This is the issue we're dealing with in social media. Uh, parents, again, 
before you give your kids the devices, understand what is going on in social media. This is not them having fun with their friends, posting a picture or two here and there, which is also very dangerous because a lot of those will be able to lead somebody literally right to your doorstep. The goal of all of these social media sites is to keep your attention, to keep your eyeballs on their app at that particular time. So if you have a child that is depressed and is looking at depressing content, looking at suicidal-based content, they're going to continue to get more of that. This researcher said, quote, the algorithm forces you into a spiral of depression, hopelessness, and self-harm, and it's terribly difficult to get out of that spiral once the algorithm thinks it knows what you want to see. It is extremely alarming to see how easy it is for children to fall into this spiral, end quote. And I believe that is absolutely true. Their brains are still mush. They've been told they are victims. And this is where social media becomes very, very dangerous and very detrimental. If your kids have any type of issues, this is going to exacerbate it. It's going to make it worse. Kids that are feeling maybe a little bit out of place, which everybody does at one time or another, can quickly be led down the road into despair because that is what the social media algorithms, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to keep you on their device and, oh, you're interested in suicidal thought videos. So let's give you a bunch of those. It is not good. The Breitbart article points out this isn't just the youngsters having issues. Earlier this month, the University of Massachusetts had to warn its students about a new drinking trend on TikTok, which had resulted in 28 ambulances being called to off-campus parties in the area. The trend involves students drinking a blackout rage gallon of alcohol, flavoring, and other ingredients. Yeah, no, that can't go poorly. I've mentioned a bunch of different stories here of young children doing TikTok challenges who wind up dead and it's not stopping anytime soon. So it's up to the parents and God help us because most of them don't seem to understand what's going on to be able to guide their children because most are too stupid to make the choice of just taking the phones and saying, you don't get one of these. The suicide rates began to go up steadily in 2007. No, there's no connection at all to the very first smartphone being introduced to society. No, no connection at all. You keep telling yourself that. I think it's pretty clear, but who knows? It's possible that I'm wrong. Maybe it's something completely different, but it would make a lot of sense that the world has now opened up to children and they're just not ready for it. They are not ready for it. And what would this podcast be if I didn't mention NASCAR. I know a lot of people are waiting for that. There were a couple of stories that also overlap with the social media concept. The first was Denny Hamlin, driver, taking out Ross Chastain, another driver, during a race, and everything was fine. NASCAR didn't have any problem with that until a couple of days later. Denny Hamlin has his very own podcast. Who doesn't have a podcast? And Denny Hamlin admitted that he took Ross Chastain, a driver that he's had issues with in the past, who has taken him out multiple times. They've been having a little feud over the past couple of years. Let's just put it that way. Well, he admitted 
that he took him out. And he didn't say that he intended to take him out, but he said, I went into the corner. I went in way too hot. I realized that I went in way too hot and I had two different choices. One, I could jack the wheel to the left and spin myself out and end my day. Or I could just let it go up. I knew it was Ross Chastain. That car was next to me. I could go up and ruin both of our days. And I intentionally decided if I was going to wreck my day, I may as well take him out with me. And that's what happened. Now, the interesting part was the way this was covered and the reactions it got. A lot of drivers, including Dale Earnhardt Jr., who just happens to own the media company that Denny Hamlin's podcast is released under, thought that the drivers should be allowed to speak freely and not be penalized. Denny Hamlin was penalized after admitting that he did this intentionally. A lot of drivers didn't like that. But I don't see how you can't, as a governing body, you can't allow your participants to admit they cheated or they intentionally took somebody out and not do anything about it. The old wink, wink, nudge, nudge would have been the much better way to go here. Denny Hamlin, he has a co-host on his podcast. You could have just let the co-host say, you know, when he was telling the story, he could have said, well, you know, I went really hard into the corner. And, you know, I, I just lost it. And, you know, I could have, I guess I could have not wrecked Ross. I could have probably just t- taken myself out. And then you could have had the co-host be like, well, wait, so did you take Ross out on purpose? And Denny Hamlin could have said, no, no, of co- no, that's great. No, of course not. I would, I would never do that in a way that you knew what he really meant. But no, he said it flat out which put NASCAR into a very bad predicament as it would any sport today because of the internet, because of social media, and because of the prevalence now of nonstop gambling. That's the biggest issue. NASCAR loves them some gambling. The MGM group is even sponsoring Kyle Busch on some of the races. So gambling is very much ingrained with NASCAR. It is very much ingrained with Major League Baseball, very much ingrained with the NFL. And if that wasn't the case, then maybe I'd have a little different reaction when another driver says, yeah, I took that guy out. Because they were both running in the top 10, which means if you're a gambler out there and you add $1,000 on Ross Chastain to finish in the top 10, well, Denny Hamlin just wrecked your day. He just cost you a lot of money. This is the problem when you start letting gambling run out of control as part of the Major League Sports franchise. I know they love the money they get from it, but it causes a lot more problems when the optics of things just don't look so good. A lot of people know Major League Baseball and Pete Rose, the whole gambling kerfuffle. In this case, I mean, who knows? Maybe Denny Hamlin had a big bet that Ross Chastain wasn't going to finish in the top 10, and he was going to make sure that that didn't happen. Gambling becoming mainstream is really not good for anybody. Because spoilers, if you gamble, you're usually not going to win. The house is going to win. It's very hard to be a successful gambler. And people lose a lot of money. And it makes things different in the sport 
I know the concept is, well, people are more interested because they got some skin in the game. They have some money on the line. So they're going to tune in to a game that otherwise they might not. But then you can't let people admit to breaking the rules without there being penalties for doing so. Because the gambling is not just on the outskirts anymore. It has been embraced by all of these organizations. And it would be one thing if it was just people going to a bookie doing illegal gambling. Well, then you really don't care as much. But now that you've embraced it and this is all legal, well, then you have to make sure that everybody's playing by the rules. Seems pretty simple to me. And speaking of the rules, I do have to just laugh at the situation of Josh Williams, who is a Xfinity series driver, which is like the NASCAR AAA. It was a very cold race in Atlanta. So cold that after he got into a minor wreck where they taped up the body, taped up the front of the car, used their bare bond or whatever they use to try to do the quick and dirty fix of the car to give it a little bit better aerodynamics on the front and hold everything together. Well, it was very cold, so the stuff was not sticking. It flew off. NASCAR didn't like it. And in a rare move, I will say, I've watched NASCAR for a long time. It took some years off, though, so maybe I missed something here. This was the first time on a small little infraction like that, meaning just a small piece of the car flew off after they tried to fix it. NASCAR said, you're done for the day. Park it. And the driver, Josh Williams, was not happy about that. But he was told that NASCAR said, hey, sorry, you got to park it. Your day is done. Rather than driving into the car, rather than driving the car into the garage area, he decided he was just going to leave it on the start finish line, hop out, wave to the fans and take his leave. NASCAR did not like that. They did not like it one bit, but he only got a one race suspension, which isn't really horrible for guys at that level when they're not running for a championship. And it was funny, his interview afterwards, he's like, we're all friends. I know these guys. They immediately whisked him away to the NASCAR trailer where he said he watched the rest of the race. I guess this was kind of like, yeah, you're not going home. You sit right there. He said, we had some pizza there. So he sat there and waited for NASCAR to have a little chat with him. And I thought it was funny because he's like, we're all friends. This wasn't a big deal. I mean, NASCAR might have been a little bit upset about it at that particular point. But it was done to make a point. It was done in a way that everybody saw it. And really, all it did was inconvenience NASCAR for a brief period of time where they had to get his car off the track. And then everybody moved on. But I thought it was a great way to give a little protest. And I did enjoy that Denny Hamlin, who races in the main NASCAR series, has a lot more money than Josh Williams, which is why he could afford to pay the fine and whatever problems he may have with uh, Ross Chastain. Denny Hamlin did offer to pay the fine for the lower series driver to cover that because he thought it was a, he thought it was a good little way to get his point across. When they tell you to park it, sometimes you just have to park it at the start-finish line and get out and wave to the fans. Frustration, no doubt, 
was in Josh Williams' mind. He was frustrated and he wanted to go viral, and he did. And we know the main thing when you're a race car driver is to get your sponsor noticed. And that car showed up in a lot of memes. That car showed up on a lot of social media posts. So his sponsor for that car probably got their money's worth. Would they have gotten their money's worth if he would have just parked it when NASCAR said park it? No. So a one-race suspension, a monetary fine that another driver offered to pay. Overall, Josh Williams got off pretty light, and I'm glad he did. Because I don't think it was meant to belittle anybody. I don't think it was meant with a lot of malice. I think it was frustration running over, and we've all been there. And the end result was a show for the fans. And let's be honest, NASCAR, that's what you're there for, to put on a show for the fans. I'm here to put on a show for you. This is the Random Thoughts Podcast. It is a value for value podcast, which means it goes out there into the world. It's not behind a paywall. You get to listen to it for free and decide if you've gotten any value whatsoever out of the shows. And if so, get some value back to us. One ways to do that is monetarily, so you can keep the microphones humming, the web servers going, all that kind of thing. You can go to randomthoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com slash donate, and you can click that donate button for a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses if you want to do the crypto thing. You can use the P.O. Box address if you want to go the snail mail route. You can go over to patreon.com slash randomthoughts if you're in that ecosystem. And if you're listening on a podcasting 2.0 app, and if you're not, why not? Go to newpodcastapps.com. You can boost us, send us a boostagram. All of these are valid ways to get your value back to the show. And today I have one person to thank for his monthly donation of $15. Been coming in for a long time, and I will say it is very, very much appreciated. Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley coming in again. $15, your support is very much appreciated. If we just had a few more Sir Sean's in the world, these podcasts would be in great, great shape. Again, go over to randomthoughts.com slash donate and get in on all of the fun. With that said, I will be back next week, hopefully with all of my teeth, which would be a nice, uh, nice way to go for another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. 